Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hicks! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. fans now cover two a podcast on the cleveland browns hi this is george thomas from the akron beacon journal i'm with nate ulrich from the akron beacon journal steve jorshuk from the canton repository marla reidenauer from the akron beacon journal in the too close for comfort edition of the cleveland browns versus the baltimore ravens there's a little subtext to that we won't get into, but how was the rest of the game, guys? Um, <laughs> the Browns go in with a, a dominating lead at halftime and nearly choke it all up to a backup quarterback once again. Um, what thoughts do you have about that, first of all? Um, Hunley getting his opportunity and making the most of it. And you know what's you know what's positively scary is that dude looks like like Lamar Lamar Jr. period. And he he dinged the Browns Browns on more than a few occasions with those skills. He did, George, and he found Greedy Williams filling in for Greg Newsom II who suffered a concussion on the final play of Friday's practice and was inactive. And he exploited that matchup with Greedy and Rashad Bateman for two deep balls to put the Browns uh, in some real bad situations. Uh, The defense, however, did come through and finished after the onside kick was recovered by the Ravens. I got to tell you guys my instant reaction when the Ravens recovered that onside kick after it bounced off Andy Janovich was that the Ravens were going to win. They have Justin Tucker. I mean, the guy is an automatic um, field goal weapon the vast, vast majority of the time. Mike Prefer, we know the Brown special teams coordinator, has called him a first ballot Hall of Fame type guy. And I just think that, uh, you know, when the Ravens get that situation, recover an onside kick, they're going to get – a little bit of yardage, and Justin Tucker is going to break the hearts of the Browns. But to the defense's credit, Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, Denzel Ward, the biggest name, stepped up, and they got the stop. I think it was kind of key that uh, it would have been fascinating to see Tucker have to try a really long field goal at the end. I mean, it wouldn't have been so fascinating. It would have been extremely depressing if he had made it. But unlike the earlier field goals that he uh, he made in the game, uh, I think um, 
they were on the uh, closed side of the field. And then, of course, you know, it, when when uh, McLaughlin missed uh, his field goal, you know, flashes of, uh, boy, I still miss uh, Phil Dawson all these years uh, later, uh, go through your mind. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and then Phil's uh, comments about uh, how difficult it is to kick in this stadium, particularly into the uh, the dog pound uh, end, uh, come to mind. But uh, that field goal, whatever it would have been, and, and if they were down to a lot, the last few seconds and it would have been a 75-yarder, I have no doubt that they would have at least tried. This uh, saving grace for the Browns at that point might have been that uh, it would have been a windblown miss. And what would have been thrilling to see Tucker miss a field goal, which he never does. 20 left to play. Huntley throws the end zone. Touchdown! Damn, ESPN. Narrow the margin. Wow. Sorry, guys. Auto play. Was that you? We'll just take take request from Lyra. (laughs) Steve, I think you enjoy giving all of Northeast Ohio a heart attack. (laughs) Because... Cut it down. <laughs> I need it. Well, you just need to talk about your day at this point. Yeah. Well, that that sums up the way it's going. Yeah. But no, I think you enjoy giving Northeast Ohio a heart attack with that thought. I think, I, I, I think everyone was already having one. So it either <laughs> self-corrected uh, with the Denzel Award play or, or uh, everybody survived it to still listening to this, I guess. No condolences to those who didn't, but uh, yeah, I think everybody was having that, George. Don't you? I mean, it fit. Nate, uh, I, I think I had the same uh, feeling that you did that it was uh, going to be a loss when they recovered that onside kick because we saw this game uh, uh, somewhat the same game in uh, 2013. It was the end of uh, Rob Chesinski. Uh, Baltimore was, or, or excuse me, New England was impossibly down toward the end of the game. Uh, and Cleveland, uh, despite a late to Tom Brady touchdown, still would have uh, won the game simply by recovering an onside kick. New England recovered that onside kick. And you kind of had the feeling uh, when they did that Brady was going to lead the Patriots to a victory, and he did. And I uh, kind of had that same feeling today that uh, oh, what a what a shame. A game that should have been won a long time ago uh, slips away like this. But, um, you know, it's uh, it, it was good that uh, – Denzel uh, Ward was buying heart attack relief pills uh, around. <laughs> I I got to point out though that with that game saving tackle by Denzel, he did the same thing, and he agreed on like the first play of the second drive the Ravens had. Stopped the guy for a two yard gain. It was a statement, you know, shoulder you know, statement making hit. And I think he came to play like that all day today, and. There were some other people on defense like Miles and Clowney that did as well. I mean, I thought they really – I mean, I was, I'm was. i with you. I thought they were losing when the ball bounces off the fullback, you know, but I still, I still think the defense, you know, had something today, some will that hopefully will spread to the rest of the team. Hey, when it wants to flex off somebody, never good news. It was Fozzie Whitaker in New England. And I still remember that vividly, Steve. They needed Marla's guy, Stephen Carlson, who's been on IR all season. 
He is the onside kick recovery machine. The leader of the hands team, in my opinion. Yes. And as far as Denzel Ward goes, this is a guy as as much as as much focus as there is on Baker Mayfield and how this season has not gone the way he wanted it to go as he plays for a contract extension. There is not nearly enough being said about how Denzel Ward has gone out and earned a contract extension. He continued to show today. The Browns also awarded him the Walter Payton Man of the Year. He was presented that. It's just another sign to me what they think about him as a cornerstone of the franchise, and he's lived up to it. You know, he's six games on. Let's call it the past six, seven games. He's had a stellar season. It makes me wonder how much the neck injury affected him earlier in the season, how much he wasn't letting on about that. Obviously, they won't say they'll they'll never really let on. But for the past six games, he's been phenomenal. He's been amazing. He, he, he it's you could argue that he's been Miles Garrett's equal during that span. John Dorsey made uh, some fatal mistakes in his two years as general manager. Uh, probably, uh, arguably, the the best pick that he made. Probably uh, now that the season is unfolding and uh, and Ward uh, is having. Uh, consistent, uh, outstanding play, probably the, the best uh, value pick that, uh, that Dorsey made, even though it was way up there at number four overall, was to take Denzel Ward instead of Bradley Chubb. Why do you use the word value pick? Because uh, uh, at, 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 well, because at number four overall, you're expected to be a pro bowler. And so uh, it's hard. It's almost hard to be a value pick uh, when you're picked that high in the draft. So a value pick when you're drafted at number four overall is almost uh, in quotations. But uh, at number four overall, uh, well, let's, let's just say it was the correct pick. How's that? I'd, like, I'd also say another guy with the last name of Chubb would like to argue about your best John Dorsey. <laughs> yeah, no, there you go. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, Chubb's uh, – uh, and uh, you, you, uh, you probably have me there, uh, Nate, but uh, you could also make, uh, make uh, a case about, well, what's more important, a shutdown corner sure. or a great running back? And, uh, you know, let's, uh, let, let's just uh, shake hands and say uh, Dorsey made uh, two good ones there. Yes, I will totally shake your hand on that. So is this a case of a win is a win is a winner? Do they need to cut this nonsense out? without without delay at this point because, again, that was a half of football. It was the first half of football. And then the offense went back to looking the way the offense has looked the prior seven games. Um, when do they fix this? How do they fix this? They, they don't um, get conservative the way they did. And, uh, and guys, unless I heard this wrong, I don't think I did. I don't think I remember it wrong. But I thought, the uh, to me, the uh, the hidden comment, maybe the comment of the the post game today was Mayfield said we got too conservative. And I don't know that he was talking about just the offense there. And uh, he easily could have been talking about the, the defensive calls because I've got my play sheet in front of me here. And the Ravens, after – Jackson went out. This, this is second half when Jackson was out. Drives us 62 yards, 46 yards, 69 yards, 90 yards. That's ludicrous. 
Uh, and that can only happen, I think, if uh, if the defensive uh, calls went into a shell and went into a, a sit of uh, sit on the lead uh, mindset a little bit. So, George, I, I think the fix is uh, um, don't sit on the daggone lead. I was I was texting to a friend after after the game ended. I'm like, it's almost as if they were just trying to run out the clock in the second half, and I got the impression. That that's been ha- that's happened more than once this season when they enjoyed a comfortable lead instead of just pouring it on and and going for the jugular they prefer to try to try to bet a sure thing that's the best way I I can think of of putting it and there's no such thing as a sure thing in life. Makes me wonder if they were almost in their own heads about, oh, we don't have two of our top tight ends and James Hudson starting a second game. And it's almost like they get in their own way. Like I was just typing in something about what John Harbaugh said about Huntley, about if he's on our team, we have confidence in him. It's almost like they don't have confidence in it in some of these backup guys or whatever. I I don't quite understand it, but I'm in total agreement about going into a shell in the second half offensively. I think Mayfield, Mayfield's tone to me said that uh, we didn't have to go into that shell. So whatever their thinking was, you know, that's uh, you can't be paranoid. And, uh, and uh, here's what bothered me about most about today's game on on balance, nothing about beating Baltimore, the first place team in your division uh, should be bothersome. But uh, in, in your corrections phase and your Monday after discussions, you really do uh, have to uh, talk about uh, that, that conservative stuff. I thought the Browns had a fantastic chance today, the chance of a season to uh, – and, and it would have started uh, on, on the drive that ended with uh, McLaughlin's missed uh, 40-yard field goal. That was, that was terrible. I mean, Tucker uh, could play finger football and make, uh, make that, uh, that field goal. That was, that was terrible. But they had a chance there to really instill some confidence in Mayfield and the offense and the entire entire team. So I, I guess that's kind of sticking to my craw a little bit that they, they really uh, lost an opportunity to go forward into the uh, Raiders game with uh, with uh, more confidence than they have. But that's fine. They got the win. And uh, if they, they win on Saturday uh, and look good doing it, uh, it'll seem like uh, one of the better uh, – weeks we've seen up here i think getting healthy too is another key which is kind of odd to say they just came off a bye week but i feel like a large part of the plan of getting right on offense revolved around kareem hunt i mean we saw kareem hunt and nick chubb on the field together for the first time this season with creativity there and hunt playing receiver as he has before but they put the tandem out there and you know hunt gets hurt late first quarter and never comes back. In fact, he got hurt making a key third ta- third down conversion, um, you know, to set up that Jarvis Landry nine-yard touchdown catch from, from Mayfield. So, yeah, I think Hunt and then getting, you know, if they can get David Njoku back from COVID list, um, that would be another uh, huge uh, difference to just the way they plan and prepare and how they like to use the 13 personnel. Obviously, they had to get creative down tight ends. You know, we saw Blake Hans being used last week in practice as that six offensive lineman practicing a lot of jumbo. Um, couldn't really report it, but Austin Hooper did say it uh, on Wednesday that Hans is somebody who could do that for him. And 
that was something that they use repeatedly. So I think that they made the most of it, you know, with not being able to do what they normally do. Um, but I do think the hunt injury uh, loomed large. They were optimistic, Stefanski and Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, um, after the game about Hunt being okay. And Stefanski kind of said that, you know, Hunt wanted to come back in, wanted to fight, but they just thought the right thing to do was to, to keep him out. And Hunt came back on the sideline in the second half. So what's really going to be interesting about it is hey, they play on a Saturday next this coming week, right? Or this yeah. week, technically, they play on a Saturday. So, you know, a little bit of a shorter week for to get Kareem Hunt back. We'll see. So the big question, well, it's not the big question. I'm just curious, was was Miles playing psychologist Friday and did the psychology work? Yes and yes. <laughs> you have no doubts about that. I don't because I think when Miles speaks, everybody in that organization listens. And to Miles' credit, I mean, when he says things like that, like he delivers. He's made a lot of great plays in his career. Today, I am calling definitively the best play he's ever made. Yeah, I I, I, I got home from the stadium, and all of a sudden I look at the score, and they're up 24 to 6. I'm like, what, what happened? And I had to go back and find the play. I'm like, oh, so he's really <laughs> stepping up today. Wow. Nice play. Um, I agree with you, Nate, about – psychology and all, you know, motivation. But I also think he was, he did say today he was motivated by what he saw or didn't see in practice. So he was also, you know, speaking like, I mean, yes, he had a message to deliver and yes, he was being, you know, all that, but he wasn't happy with what he saw. I mean, it wasn't just like he made it up, you know, and there were deficiencies there that he was unhappy with. And I mean, the 48-hour thing, doesn't it doesn't get much more pointed than that. So Yeah, today after the game, did you head into the interview on Friday knowing you were going to deliver a wake-up call, or did it just happen to come out? And, he's, and he said what Marla just explained, that it basically was feelings from what he had seen in practice. And the great Marla Reidenauer asked a couple questions in that interview, and then it just came out, and I think it did – mean something in that locker room. While you're on this subject of psychology, I thought this was really important, and that is the relationship between Miles Garrett and uh, and the fan base here. I think uh, half the fan base, uh, give or take, uh, for a long time looked at Miles and saw a really good player, one who didn't play all the time. Of course, he got kicked out of that, uh, that end of the season there, and uh, that's a story for another day, and that's luckily ancient history now, but uh, there's always been a subtext of, well, he was a number one overall pick, but he's not quite playing like a number one overall pick. He's playing like a really good player, but not number one. Today, after that play, after after that play, the love as his uh, image was shown on the big uh, the big uh, Tennessee scoreboards. Come on, Tennessee. <laughs> Struggling. But uh, when, when Miles' image was shown on those scoreboards, just the, the buzz in the crowd and Miles' big grin, knowing he was on camera and, and at the same time digesting those cheers, I thought that was really – that might have been the best stuff that happened today, that relationship between the, the fans 
realizing that th this guy is really good and uh, and uh, miles realizing that people uh, people want to love him well we we could get into a broader debate about the fans not knowing what the heck they were talking about those early years because they expected a sack every other every other I disagree, George. I thought there was a long stretch when uh, he didn't play like a number one overall. Played uh, really good football, but uh, no, I, I wanted uh, wanted Superman uh, out of my number one pick. Same same with Mayfield. Uh, you know, truth be told, he's a number one. He's got to got to play close to that level. Right out of college. Not well. I'm I'm talking about uh, two or three years in for Miles. No, it wasn't uh, wasn't just his his rookie year. But here again, that again that that is a story for another day. I, I think that's why I close with that the bottom line of uh, I thought the uh, uh, symbiosis of uh, Miles looking at the people and the people uh, looking at uh, um, Miles and everybody feeling the love was uh, was kind of the takeaway today. And you can kind of forget about some of the uh, past debates. That That's fine. I'm glad to know that they finally realize what they have. It, 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 and players don't like Miles Garrett don't come along very often. Um there, there's always been the debate of who could take LeBron James's crown in this town when LeBron left. Well, I'd, I'd argue that Miles now has a chance, especially in light of what's going on with Baker Mayfield. Of the Browns, absolutely. I agree, George. And having gone to a few <laughs> community events that he's had uh, this year, um, he's really getting in touch with his relationship with Cleveland and how it's grown. Um, and I just think that he feels like he was supported by a lot of people around here, you know, in the fan base in that 2019 season that ended with suspension when he was, you know, became one of the most controversial figures in all of sports and was vilified. I think he remembers a lot of Browns fans had his back. And I think that the relationship has grown from there. And obviously, Steve, I agree with you. You know, when you're that number one overall pick, the expectations couldn't be any higher. And although he had played really well since the Browns drafted him, number one overall pick expectations are just, you know, in a different stratosphere. I, I think we're seeing it now. I, I mean, when I think about Miles and the way his career's going, the very first play that he, he stepped on the field because he had missed the first four games with a high ankle sprain his rookie season. He got a high ankle sprain right before the opener in practice. He steps on the field against the Jets. Very first snap, he gets a sack. You know, and that's just remind today remind me of that. It was like a storybook moment. Today he gets his 15th sack of the season. That sets the official single season franchise record for sacks. On the same play, he scores his first NFL touchdown. So I mean we're these movie type scenes don't happen with just your average player. You got to be really special. And so I do think that this is a guy uh, living up to that number one status now. So, so let's close with this. Uh, right now, his season keeps going the way it is. Is he going to finally get that deep defensive player of the year? That he, he came in and see, he doesn't talk about it anymore. He came in hunting for that it was a stated goal if he keeps playing the way he does does he finally get it this year Watt had a bunch of sacks the other day didn't he i mean in recent times so he's yes. he's still in the discussion but... <laughs> yeah it's him and watt right now i think well but 
you would think that maybe if the Browns win some more, maybe, you know, that would, I don't know, play a little bit of a part in that. Absolutely. <laughs> One thing you could ask is what would general managers do? It would be interesting to have this conversation if any of us uh, talks to a GM or former GM this week and say, hey, hey, uh, hey, Phil, or whoever, uh, whatever would be the name of uh, a GM you would uh, call and ask an opinion. But, uh, you know, who would you take, uh, Watt or, uh, or Garrett? You know, I'm, I'm taking uh, Garrett just because I kind of like the way he uh, is incrementally Im- improving uh, a skill set that was, was already there big time. And, uh, you know, today's, uh, today's play uh, was uh, a long illustration of uh, what he's capable of. That we're, uh, uh, that's, he's, he's just uh, 5% uh, better uh, in, in some way or other than, uh, than Watt is. Maybe seven and a half percent. As good as Watt is, I've heard people from Pittsburgh criticize him for disappearing against the Browns in the playoffs in January. Man, I might also lean toward Miles just as the freak of nature, the otherworldly thing, you know, physicality of his game, you know, like it just he almost looks like a I don't know. I'm not judging him just on appearance and body type, but I still feel like there's some some more he can do. I mean, he, he's been talking about making these game-changing plays. I mean, this is, you know, this could be, and maybe this will open the floodgates. I just like to throw out that Davian Clowney looked like a number, a former number one overall pick on a play up at a very key point of the game today. He had a generally good game today. Probably his two best games of the season, the last two. Yep. He did. And, you know, I I got to say that, you know, the Browns showed a, a lot of resilience today. I mean, the Ravens did. Let's not forget, like, the Browns had these guys on COVID. The, guy, the Browns have a lot of banged up guys, and a lot of guys are in, inactive, and they lost Jack Conklin in the, in the game against the Ravens November 28th. But the Ravens are more beat up than anybody, and the Ravens lost Lamar Jackson in this game and Calais Campbell, their six-time Pro Bowl defensive end. I mean, so both teams were. And, you know, I just think that the Browns were the more desperate team today, and at times in the second half it looked like they had forgotten that and might blow it. But they did come through, and I think Miles' play and his leadership were the kind of overriding themes of the day. All right, guys, let's call it a night. I'm sure you guys have more writing to do. I'm going to get this posted. For Steve Dorshuk, Marla right now we're Nate Ulrich. I'm George Thomas, and we'll talk to you. Well, we won't talk to anybody. We'll see you Saturday. <laughs> Good night. Good night.